Good evening, everyone, and a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from Tusk and Marquis to you. And I know some of you are probably wondering, what the fuck, Tusk? And that's something that I have to ask myself as well. I greatly apologize for this two-week hiatus that I've taken. Um, unfortunately, I've just been very busy, primarily with the holiday season type shit, uh, as well as a few other personal uh, affairs I've had to handle. I just haven't had the time to record these past couple of weeks, but I'm back. I'm not dead. And as always, I'm back with Marquis. Merry Christmas, Marquis. How have you been? How's your Christmas? Merry Christmas, Tusk. Been a pretty great Christmas, if I do say so myself. Picked up some new ring material here and there, got some reading done, got some writing done, and I believe that was going to be the topic of our episode. Indeed it is. Even though I took a hiatus, I'm sure many of y'all know Marquis has not. He has uploaded pretty consistently, and he has actually released some pretty great shit, primarily with these last few articles focusing on modern conservatism, how conservatism has changed, as well as an article on libertarianism, and I strongly suggest y'all go check those out. They're pretty fucking great at the conservativecritique.com. Y'all can find links to it on my podcast page, and today we're going to discuss just that. So, conservatism, has it become statist? Right. One of the things that uh, is kind of overlooked in discussions of conservatism is that it's not a monolithic ideology. What we call conservatism in this country is conditioned by over 200 years of the American experience since the founding, which is fundamentally different than the rest of the world's, which regards conservatism. Because this country being conceived in liberty, as Rothbard put it, uh, liberalism, not conservatism, was the founding doctrine of this country. Conservatism in Europe is more tied with the Tories of England and on the continent, monarchists and some other disreputable groups, some of them fascistic, that have absolutely no rooting across the Atlantic. But I digress. So when we think of conservatism in this country, we're thinking of something that obviously you're conserving something. In this country, what we're conserving is what we built originally. We're conserving the American Revolution, which is a rather unfamiliar way a, to take the word as the rest of the world would see it. But to us, this is just normal. And this movement really only became a thing in 1955 with the founding of the national review by bill buckley but we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves right in the 50s there was a sea change in conservatism and it went from the era before it which was characterized by the old right which were like a frank goderov hl mencken albert j knock and them who were opposed to roosevelt and the new deal but then in 55, when the National Review is founded and uh, Buckleyite conservatism becomes ascendant, then it takes a hard turn towards statism. 
Yes, I would say it has become statist, and it's been that way since approximately 55. Right. It's a long time. Yeah, indeed. Um, going back to what you said about the American idea of conservatism versus other areas of the world, that's definitely a thing for most politics in the United States. I mean, if you look at other nations where most of them are already pretty left-leaning, many of them actually use the term liberal to describe somebody who is, by American standards, pretty, quote-unquote, conservative. Like in Australia, their two-party system comprises of the Labor Party and the Liberal-slash-National Coalition, and it's the Liberal Party that is pretty right-leaning, while the Labor Party, which is also sort of split into two sectors, but it's, for the most part, pretty left-leaning. Because historically, conservative just means wanting things to say the same, while liberal means wanting things to change. Now, I've heard some people make some pretty shitty arguments saying, see, so that means liberal is good because liberals want to progress. Well, I would argue, fuck that shit, because... Changing for the sake of change isn't progress. It's just change. Obviously, conservatives also want progress in the sense of the world moving forward and developing and becoming better. Conservatives just think that the liberals' ideas of changing and quote-unquote progressing is stupid. But I digress. Today we're talking about conservatism and libertarianism, specifically. Indeed. I have a uh, helpful passage from uh, Frederick Hayek's forward to the 1956 American edition of The Road to Serfdom that really can explain some of the confusion for the listeners. And I quote, I use throughout the term liberal in the original 19th century sense in which it is still in current use in Britain. In current American usage, it often means very nearly the opposite of this. It has been part of the camouflage of leftist movements in this country, helped by the muddle-headedness of many who really believe in liberty, that liberal has come to mean the advocacy of almost every kind of government control. I am still puzzled why those in the United States who truly believe in liberty could not have only allowed the left to appropriate this almost indispensable term, but should even have assisted by beginning to use it themselves as a term of opprobrium. This seems to be particularly regrettable because of the consequent tendency of many true liberals to describe themselves as conservatives. And, unquote. This is why in Britain, one of the biggest factions over there for human liberty is, ironically, the Tory party. Which, in the days past, used to be the bastion of support for the king and explicit authoritarian power vested in the monarchy as opposed to Parliament. But times have changed, and the conservative has become the defender of liberty on the European continent in relation to this uh, heresy of leftism and statism that has uh, really cropped up in the last hundred years or so. Oh, the Liberal Party in Britain hasn't been a going force since World War One, sadly, but uh, liberalism as an idea still lives on under the aegis of conservatism over there. A very odd thing, in, to a sense, but I digress. So, in this country, 
basically. Liberalism is the standard. There never really was much of a conservative movement in this country until a group of intellectuals in the 50s tried to transplant it from Europe. Until then, essentially everything was liberal with some rare instances of conservatism. Like, uh, what do I mean by that? Like, in the Federalists, it's early on, and uh, you see the advocacy for, for an elitist Senate where the members are chosen by the states. They're not chosen by a direct suffrage. It's meant to be the representative of wealth and landed interests. That's really what they made it for. Are very opposed to the, the more egalitarian democratic doctrine and that uh, created the House of Representatives. That, the former, is a constant throughout our history and still most of it is liberal until around the 50s when that transplant happens which is, again, Buckley and his friends creating a new conservatism. Nowadays, it seems like conservative and liberal, again, conservatives, or when I say conservatives, I mean more right-leaning people, uh, you know, like pro-lifers, pro-gunners, uh, people who support the Electoral College, people of that nature, they still want progress. So when we say conservative and liberal... Nowadays, it tends to just mean, well, viewpoints that have been designated as liberal versus conservative. Again, liberal historically means wanting progress. Conservative means wanting things to say the same. So even when abortion laws were at their loosest, you know, even when the nation had its peak of pro-choice laws, being pro-choice was still considered liberal and being pro-life was considered being conservative. So, say you live in Illinois with very, very loose abortion laws. Would a pro-lifer be considered liberal there because they want to change it? So it seems like, again, conservative and liberal just means that you agree on beliefs that have been designated as conservative slash liberal beliefs. So... At this point, conservative and liberal, it's just its own little dictionary in the United States. It's not the same as other countries, like in Japan, where the liberal party is also considered the right-leaning party of the nation. The world's lexicon of politics is really quite broken and doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes. But uh, I digress to that point. Yes, there is a lot of, of uh, discrepancies in definitions about liberals and conservatives in this country and around the world, like we were saying. One of the things that uh, will always characterize conservatives, at least since and so the 55 revolution that I keep getting back to that we'll get into a little bit more later, is that uh, what Buckley said is the conservative stands aside history yelling stop. The conservative is the one who tries to break the clock to turn things back to a, a better golden golden era. It's a, a, a reactionary force, which is, again, the United States has never really had a reactionary force up until oh, the 50s. And that a little bit more later. Conservatism since then, which is 
we've never really evolved. We're starting to see the earmarks and evolutions going on right now, but we're still in that Buckley era as it stands. Conservatism is still trying to get back to a uh, a better day, a better golden era, but uh, we keep finding ourselves with ever looser and looser footing. So if conservatism needs to win, we might need to look forward to something better instead of looking back to something that we're having greater and greater trouble getting back to. Uh, that's, that's just a note on strategy. So like we were talking about earlier, in 1955, everything really changes in conservatism. That's when this guy, Bill Buckley, he's fresh out of Yale. He was in the army during World War II. He's a Catholic intellectual of the really conservative bent of the kind that is more common in Europe than it is in the United States. There really aren't a whole lot of dudes like Buckley in the United States. He founds the National Review, and this is strategically to take advantage of a vacuum in conservatism. Like I said, the old right, they were dying off around that. And like literally the thought leaders of the old right were quite literally dying out at that time. So there's a vacuum in intellectual power on the right. Buckley comes in to fill it, and the National Review becomes wildly successful and influences conservatism big time going forward. What's their biggest issue? Their biggest issue is communism and its international march since World War. So, essentially, the whole movement is defined as primarily opposition to communism, and that's the be-all and end-all of Cold War conservatism. And what do you need to fight communism? You need an army, a very, very large army. And that's where you get to what Rothbard said about it. I'm going to read a passage from Rothbard speaking of this thing where Buckley is actually reforming conservatism in his own image. And I quote, He admits that his opposition to statism, eloquently expressed at the beginning, is merely romantic academism. For Buckley favors, quote, extensive and productive tax laws that are needed to support a vigorous anti-communist foreign policy, quote, and by implication supports the ECA aid and $50 billion defense budgets. He declares that the, quote, thus far invincible aggressiveness of the Soviet Union imminently threatens U.S. security, quote, and therefore we have, quote, got to accept big government for the duration, for neither an offensive nor a defensive war can be waged except through the instrumentality of a totalitarian bureaucracy within our shores, quote. Therefore, he concludes we must support, quote, large armies and air forces, atomic energy, central intelligence, war production boards, and the attendant centralization of power in Washington, even with the hated Truman at the reins of it all, unquote. This is the first time in American history you'll ever hear a professed conservative saying that we need totalitarianism in order to fight totalitarianism. This is when you commit suicide for fear of death. You destroy freedom at home because you're afraid someone is going to destroy your freedom at home. As you said in our last episode, you defeated Lucifer and replaced him with Beelzebub. That really is about the size of it. And that's the direction 
that conservatism starts going after the war. It's defined as entirely as anti-communism with the, just in the back seat, anti-communism, you've got riding shotgun. But in the back seat, you have first tradition, which is, again, a big holdover they imported from the European conservatives. That was, uh, that's a concept that figures much more into traditional European conservatism than whatever you're going to label as American conservatism. There isn't a whole lot of real American conservatism before, or a Buckley in them, but I digress. Liberty comes basically in third in their hierarchy of needs. And in order to get this whole tent of conservatism up and running, they bring in a lot of ex-communists, some ex-Trotskyite intellectuals who get uh, disillusioned with communism, turn to Christianity, usually Catholicism, and then with a messianic zeal, turn against their old faith and uh, start calling for global crusades against the Red Menace and its attendant standing armies and... Like Buckley said so well, totalitarian bureaucracy went up within our shores in order to fight communism. This is the conservatism that you get going forward. Starts in the 50s, and it spawns Barry Goldwater. The quintessential Republican campaign, it completely floored out. Total failure in its day. But 20 years later, Ronald Reagan copy and pastes his talking points. In fact, Ronald Reagan was campaigning hard for Goldwater back in the day. But that's another story. Mm -hmm. So when Reagan does it 20 years later, he wins and becomes one of the most popular presidents in U.S. history with the exact same thing. Amen. Goldwater was just ahead of his time with conservatism going in that direction. So what we're talking about right now is the Reagan conservatism. That's what we know it as, at least. It, full disclosure, I used to be a diehard Reagan conservative, but uh, how times change. Yeah, as much as I love Reagan, he did have his faults, particularly. Absolutely. And he isn't fully to blame for this, like many people think. Uh, the national debt tripling under him, yes, he definitely didn't help it with a lot of military spending, which I support funding the military, but... I mean, it has its downsides, such as upping the national debt. However, it was started primarily under the Nixon era. It He wasn't by any means the cause for it, but again, he really didn't help it, so got to take off points for that. And, well, he was anti-weed, but so were most politicians at the time, but I digress. I love Reagan. Buckley's totalitarian bureaucracy within our shores. This is exactly what he was talking about: building a massive military in order to, if nothing else, stand off with communism. And the idea was to force it into an arms race, which would bankrupt it. That partially happened, but I would say that communism collapsed of its own internal flaws it's just a monumentally stupid idea <laughs> and it was going to collapse anyway yeah. but that's uh, another it's another can of worms but reagan and the defense buildup of the 80s is the realization of everything that buckley and goldwater said 20 years earlier that's the conservatism that we had 
in the 50s, the 80s. We saw it again with both Bush presidencies. Hell, Clinton kind of even acceded to it. But it all stays the same until Trump. Now everything is starting to fragment and nobody knows what the legacy of this Buckleyite conservatism is going to be. But until then, that's the kind of conservatism we have. It's a actually a very statist, militaristic idea. And not all what conservatives, such that there were, before the revolution of 1955 would have wanted. Conservatism used to mean conserving the American Revolution and keeping standing armies out. If you read the writings of the Founding Fathers, they're unequivocal. Standing armies are deleterious to liberty, tend toward the impoverishment of the people, and threaten to decapitate representative government in a single blow. The old right, old conservatism, such as it was in this country, used to support a limited and small government, two different things. But they support both those things. Conservatives nowadays tend to not really support either of those things while taking on the guise that they do. A lot of people are fooled and buy into this camouflage. That's what's so sad. And that's why the libertarian movement is so stymied. I would argue that even though for most of my life I've called myself conservative simply for simplicity's sake, I have to consider myself a libertarian now because libertarians, I would argue, are the true quote-unquote conservatives. Wanting to go back to the days without a federal income tax back before we got involved with other nations' battles, which brings me to one of your articles, The Lalbertarian Caricature. You mentioned in this article that several people, particularly a Reddit post, that said libertarians are just Republicans who like weed. And unfortunately, I would have to agree with that for the most part. It does seem like Many people who are just too shy to call themselves Republicans call themselves Libertarians, or maybe they genuinely do disagree with the Republican Party simply because of its stance on weed. And I will say that that was me for a while, particularly during my teenage years, where I was really pissed off at Republicans for being anti-marijuana, but now as my beliefs have developed... I've found a number of many, many things I disagree with Republicans on. Your thoughts on this? Right. It strikes me, like I said in that article, that it's simply a caricature that's very misleading to call the entire libertarian movement and everything that's gone into it just a protest to the Republican view of we. That strikes me as extremely illogical. When you get right down to it, the, there is more doctrine and theory behind the libertarian movement than Marxism ever dreamed of having. And just reducing all of that down to a protest about marijuana really doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The roots of libertarianism go back a, a very long way because it really is the philosophy of liberty. 
libertarianism is, of course, the heir to classical liberalism, and uh, the germs of classical liberalism and liberty go back almost to the dawn of civilization. The first word for liberty was pronounced amagi, and that was actually in cuneiform. So it's been a second since uh, the first inscriptions of liberty were written. It really has been a second. Right. And reducing all of that down to marijuana just never made sense to me. Republicans are, they, they claim to be the anti-status party, but they're not the anti-status party. They support corporate welfare, protectionism, the military-industrial complex, the income tax, yes, the drug war, but we could go on. On uh, There are so many worse things than marijuana criminalization that Republicans support that tend to the empowering of the state and the disempowering of the people and the stripping of their civil liberties that the differences between the two are quite long. And the more you get into libertarianism, the more you'll see that there is hardly any agreement on what constitutes a libertarian at all. So even if some libertarians are just Republicans who want to smoke weed, then all the other libertarians are busy engaging in a bar fight over what libertarianism is. Exactly. <laughs> Funny enough, it seems like most modern Republicans aren't even against weed anymore. Uh, one of the things that breaks my heart about Ron DeSantis, though, is he's a step in the right direction, although he did say before that under his governorship of Florida, recreational marijuana would not be legalized. Although I have seen accounts of him perhaps changing his mind on that, him saying that he would go with what the people willed, which God bless him for that although he has always been for medical marijuana, which is, like I said, a step in the right direction. But most Republicans that I meet nowadays, I mean, it's one of those things that we are going farther to the left on and that I actually agree on. Is that left? By America's standards, yes. It's been considered the, the again, going back to what I said about what's deemed conservative and liberal in the United States, it's just views that have been designated for each. So I guess uh, by the worldwide standards, I'm not sure where that falls, but in American standards, it's considered the left-wing idea. Leftism is truly the aggrandizement of the state and the minimalization of the individual. Collectivism over individualism and the subsuming of the one into the many, dissolving him as one droplet of water into the Pacific Ocean. This is leftism when you get right down to it. Really quite a disturbing creed. I don't understand why people like this when you sit down and pick it apart because of how dehumanizing it is. But I digress. It really is the essence of liberalism, not leftism, right. to expand the sphere of human action and expanding what people can do consensually in a society. So long as it's not harming anyone, True. which smoking a dumb plant really isn't. I am personally behind legalization 100% as a classical liberal myself. But personally, I completely hate that stuff. And uh, there's no way I would ever touch that with a 10-foot pole, which it puts me on the reactionary end of even most Republicans. But 
I explained this by one quote from Lysander Spooner that makes it eminently clear. Vices are not crimes to be punished. One does not punish by the state's prisons, police, and guns an act of immorality. You punish, instead, aggression, actual physical coercion, and breach of contract, which causes measurable harm to someone. That's what the state punishes. It does not punish immoral choices that a person makes. That is the purview of God. Right. Yeah, you had you had the point there. I should have said going more liberal rather than going more left. I despise the left. I never use the words Democrat, liberal, leftist, or progressive. I never use them interchangeably because there is a difference. The Democratic Party is, well, it's just a party, and it's pretty a pretty broad party uh, in that sense. It's You have conservative Democrats, you have uh, more of the stereotypical liberal Democrat, and you have the leftists who side with the Democratic Party. That's why every time I get in a debate with someone and they say something like, the Democratic Party is actually not left-wing, you know, it's right-wing, just not as right-wing as... I'm like, shut the fuck up. Okay, first, the Democrat is very... Maybe if you're a Maoist... Yeah, go go uh, find a communist. Go find a blue-haired communist on the streets of San Francisco and ask them who they voted for. I promise you it will not be a Republican. Democrats are very broad. More, broads, more broad than the Republican Party. You have people all over the spectrum who lean that way towards the Democrats. Liberal, again, I say it's just whoever aligns more with the beliefs that have been dubbed liberal by American philosophy. Leftist, like you said, I, those are the far left uh, socialists, uh, people who want to ban all guns, uh, veganism, that's not strictly political, but it's much more common on the left. Things of that nature. Progressive, I think it's a pretty broad topic. It can be seen as leftist, I suppose, but historically it would be people like Teddy Roosevelt who believe in reforming the government to serve the people more, generally. But that was a huge tangent. Uh, going back to libertarianism, like I said, many Republicans are also now starting to ease up on marijuana, and many are starting to fully support it, which is why I think it can be pretty dangerous for the libertarian philosophy for people to only see it as a pro-weed movement, considering that once Republicans are fully behind it, which I hope happens in the near future, many people will lose sight of what libertarianism is supposed to be, and the entire ideology could very well just fade away. And that would be pretty heartbreaking because as somebody who sides pretty solidly with libertarian ideology, there is a lot more left to do besides weed being legalized. Taxes are still way too fucking high. The welfare state unfortunately exists. Thousands of 18, 19, and 20-year-olds are still being rounded up and sent off overseas to die fighting another nation's war. Gun laws are still way too strict. And We still have a federal government. 
<laughs> yeah, fuck it. I mean, first of all, I know this is going to piss a lot of people off, but I think the best thing that we can do for libertarianism is completely erase all of FDR's effects on the United States. His entire fingerprint of his presidency, gone. We need to get rid of all that shit. Oh, yeah, and the I definitely agree. Act still exists. Fuck that shit. Indeed. We're definitely going to have to roll the clock back in that respect. Quite a bit. Quite a bit. Going to have to set the clock back to early America. But, uh, yes, I digress. I'm not too worried about the libertarian movement completely being extirpated. The liberty movements around the world have historically had some big ups and downs. And even when they're defeated in one spot, they'll crop up again in a few years someplace else. There'll be new leaders. They'll have a slightly different flavor, but it really just keeps coming. In my article, I named a number of groups in American history that have been accused of or have claimed the mantle of libertarianism. The Founding Fathers, the Jacksonian Democrats, Austrian school economists, anti-war protesters, Randian objectivists, Rothbardian anarchists, Ron Paul enthusiasts, Hoppians, hippies, the Lolbertarian that we were talking about earlier, Bourbon Democrats, Cleveland Democrats, Gold Democrats, we could go on. Libertarianism and the movement for liberty just in general is plastic. It can mold to fit certain special circumstances and as the fellow in the guy fox mask from v for vendetta tells us ideas are bulletproof you're not going to exterminate them you're not going to stop them the only way that you can defeat an idea is with a better idea and eminently i do not think that's possible because liberty is a very difficult thing to refute i would actually call it axiomatic and one does not refute axioms. Right. It's just going to keep coming back, no matter what you do to it. That's fair. In the United States, with how toxic the political climate has become, it's very difficult for libertarians to get along. Like you said, the libertarians fighting in a bar over what it means to be libertarian. I would say libertarian means that it means wanting less government in very basic terms. However, many people seem to be butting heads over exactly to what extent should libertarianism allow you to do things. For example, I have been told on multiple occasions by people, by typically left-leaning libertarians, that I cannot be libertarian because I have at some point voted Republican, particularly because I support Ronald Reagan. And to which I said, so my views on marijuana should shine above all my other views, like on gun control, the border, the economy. And they said, well, if you were a true libertarian, someone's right to put something in their body should be one of the most important issues. To which I said, fuck off. I care more about my right to defend myself than my right to be able to smoke a blunt walking down the sidewalk. It also stems to a few other issues, such as abortion, 
many, many left-leaning libertarians will probably tell you that you cannot be a libertarian if you are pro-life. And again, abortion is one of my least favorite political issues because I see it as a moral one rather than a political one because pro-lifers think that it should be viewed the same as shooting somebody on the side of the street, while pro-choicers view it the same as having the right to smoke a cigarette. But that's where I say we kind of have to take the issue of abortion out of libertarianism because, again, it's a moral issue. So Quite a moral issue it is, because consider this. If the pro-life people are correct, and this is a human life that we're allowing to be extinguished, then we've allowed over 50 million children to be killed in the past few decades. Exactly. That is almost the amount of people who were killed in World War II. That is a crime against humanity that is, is of unconscionable proportion. So I would actually say that this needs to be the biggest political issue. And I'm in, actually in company of Ron Paul on this one. When he was writing the book... I have it right here. Yeah, Liberty Defined, a few years back, he alienated some people in the libertarian movement by saying that he was emphatically against abortion because, essentially, if these the pro-life people are right and this is a child that we're aborting right now, then we need to afford it the most rights we can possibly do that. Because if you just honor the right to bodily autonomy 100% of the woman, then in the process you're going to abrogate not only the bodily autonomy of the kid, but all of his other liberty. That's a lot of other liberty to be abrogated. So you have two liberties grinding up against each other. You have to take which one is weightier. And... The right to not be killed slams down as a very weighty right indeed, relative to quite literally anything. So, I definitely am in favor, from the libertarian perspective, of putting abortion at the top of the ticket. But, again, then we have the left-wing libertarians. I would say that's an oxymoron, and you cannot be a left-wing libertarian. But... Right. This is, again, libertarians and being a fractious bunch. If we were less fractious and we had any of the internal discipline that the Republicans or the Democrats had, we would have had a libertarian president by now. But I digress. Again, the pro-life libertarians, and contrary to what the quote-unquote left-wing libertarians like to believe, there are pro-life libertarians. The pro-life libertarians believe that aborting a child is murder in the same way that shooting somebody is murder and there's a difference between anarchy and libertarianism libertarians do not believe that you should be able to walk up and shoot somebody for no reason so if you're a pro-choice libertarian actually I, I say this in pretty much every abortion debate until you explain and convince a pro-lifer that abortion is not murder, all other abortion arguments go out the window. Because any other argument is just justifying murdering a kid. 
That's the pro-life argument. Saying, oh, well, what if she's not ready to be a mother? Does that justify murder? What if she... What if the child can live a bad life? Well, does that justify murder? Last I checked, it's not legal to kill a homeless person. What if the child can be born with serious birth defects? That does not justify murder. You're going to have to convince pro-lifers that it's not murder. Until you do that, anything else doesn't matter. Indeed. Especially when you get to a point that a uh, statistic I saw the other day was that 95% of the abortions performed in a given year tend to be completely elective. Nobody's health is compromised. The baby's healthy. The mother's healthy. Nobody's even claiming that it will have a negative mental effect on the mother to have the kid. So all those cases that we hear about so much are squeezed into that tiny 5%. So all those really rare exceptions that you hear about total up to a vanishingly small amount. If you want to talk about those in a different setting, that that's fine, but I'd rather talk about the 95% that are totally elective, that are just because, just because, that's the reason. And uh, killing a kid just because strikes me as profoundly immoral and profoundly unchristian. Exactly. But again, I hate the whole abortion debate for this very reason it's moral not political and unlike say economic issues or gun control this isn't saying this isn't looking at numbers saying if if we change this law it'll have this effect it's just asking is this right and <laughs> funny enough Looking back through American history, the abortion issue is eerily similar to the slavery issue of the 1800s. I, I mean, really, you look at it, and it is almost word for word the same. A actually, one of the few differences, actually, was a lot of the slavery issue wasn't started over asking if it's morally okay. Many of the abolitionists simply viewed it as harmful for the economy because so many working class people found it hard to find jobs because, well, would you pay somebody when you can have somebody doing it for you for little to no cost? Other than that, you have, well, again, this is just titles, but the Republicans who are against it and the Democrats who are mostly for it one side is saying these don't count as people and the other side saying no this is a moral travesty and we're not going to let it happen it is scarily similar so the only question now is how's it going to end hopefully not with another civil war that wouldn't be very cash money of us <laughs> yeah you beat me by like i digress second. that's that was pretty much just a huge tangent uh going back to libertarianism that's why I say, when I say that I think the abortion issue should be taken out, I'm saying that we can't really decide if somebody's a libertarian or not based on if they're pro-life or pro-choice. Pro-choicers will say, no, no, you can't be a libertarian if you don't support a woman's right to choose. And then the pro-lifers will say, you absolutely can, because you can also be a libertarian without thinking that murder 
should be legal. And then the pro-choicers will go on saying, it's not murder, it's not murder. Well, we can have that debate another time. But you have to be able to look at it from the pro-lifer's standpoint, which most people on the left are not willing to do that. But fuck it. If you're going to call conservatism as something that's endemic to America, again, like I said earlier, it's debatable how much that's true. But then it's arguable that the first conservatives in this country were Hamilton, Madison, and Washington. It's a very illustrious start. And it just, it keeps going throughout most of American history. It started as the philosophy of individualism. Limited government, relatively small government, not as much as the Jeffersonians would have wanted it to be, but still limited, small. You can exist, you can uh, cooperate, you can build, you can invest very well under those conditions. But it's entirely morphed. It broke under the pressure of the Cold War. And very few people are seeing in this country that the effect of war on ideas, specifically our politics in this country, have completely shattered a that whole idea and is metamorphosed into something entirely different under the pressure of the Cold War. And it never reverted. I couldn't help but notice you included Hamilton on your list. That is one of the people who is usually cited as one of the first conservatives. Again, there's a debate on the extent that conservatism as an idea impacted the philosophy of the founding. But regard if you subscribe to that or not, he's one of the people that you point to. Right, because I know you're... Not particularly a fan of Alexander Hamilton. Yes, I wouldn't say that, like I said earlier, that conservatism as an idea had all that much effect. Hamilton was closer to the Tories, I would say, in uh, England than he was to the Jeffersonians. But nonetheless, I would put them still within the liberal camp even if Hamilton was farther on the periphery than Jefferson was. Right. Notes of history. Indeed. Final thoughts on conservatism. It's better than the left, I would say. That should go without saying for this show. Um, but it has unfortunately lost its roots, and we do need to seriously rethink the way that we see the purpose of government and while for simplicity's sake I still say that I'm considered a conservative simply because I definitely fall more along those lines as in being pro-gun being for lower taxes but as you aided me in finding the true label for my beliefs which is minarchist Meaning, You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. Meaning that the government's role should be law enforcement, military, and the courts, and that is it. Because, as the Founding Fathers stated, the purpose of the government is to protect your rights, not provide your rights, and not pay for your rights. That is it.
The government's not here to hold your hand. The government is not here to further your agenda. It is there to keep you from being hurt by other people. I wholeheartedly agree with this. I would just close by saying that conservatism around the world is a venerable tradition. And for the, if you're going to say that conservatism is an endemic philosophy that has its roots in this country in the founding, which a lot of people do, then it's had around 150 years in this country of being a very venerable philosophy with deep roots and grand exponents. A lot of very wise and great men have believed it in the past. But it lost its way under extenuating circumstances, but it still lost its way. And it became corrupted with some elements that are truly alien to the United States. And we have not yet recovered from that. It was a product of the 20th century, the century of welfare and warfare. It's a conservatism that made its peace with the New Deal and with Woodrow Wilson. Projecting power abroad and aggrandizing the state at home. This created a, a sort of Me Too statism, where or the by this time, entirely statist Democratic Party would say that we want to dramatically expand the state at home and abroad. Republicans, me too. We also want to do that. Maybe a little bit less, though, and maybe a little bit more foreign than at home. This is a tragedy. It's a tragedy that happened to a venerable and good tradition. Nonetheless, because we said earlier that conservatives are a lesser degree of purity of statist than and the leftists, it's definitely preferable to take conservatism over leftism in this country. There should be no doubts on this point. But we can, we can do better. This country does deserve better. We deserve a philosophy that isn't rooted in a quirk of history that mutated during the Cold War, dark and paranoid days, we deserve something that looks forward to a brighter future. Indeed. I think we can do it. We can. It won't be easy, but we definitely can. First things first, we have to all stand together and collectively scream, Fuck the New Deal. Fuck Wilsonianism. I agree. Is it too much to ask for just another Calvin Coolidge? At this rate, probably. Fuck. You never know, though. Maybe. Maybe. Anyways, Merry Christmas, everybody, and a Happy New Year. You will probably be seeing this episode on the 1st. Hopefully, that's when I plan on uploading it. Which means, if you're listening to this, congratulations. Election year is next year. So, hopefully, two years from now. We'll have a new president-elect. God willing. Hopefully. But anyways, that concludes this episode. Thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and God bless America.